Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Father's Day was awesome. Yes. Pretty cool, huh? Um, man, I'm going to tell you, um, the, the, the whole Mike Singletary experience was really incredible for us. I mean, just a really, really great guy. Great opportunity to hang out. I um, didn't have any kids at my house for the first time ever as a father on Father's Day. Um, 26 years I've been a dad and no kids home. Okay, I'm not bitter. So I, um, I invited Mike and his whole family over. So I had, I, I cooked out steaks on Father's Day for Mike Singletary. How awesome is my life anyway? You know what I'm saying? Right? Um, he has six, six of his seven kids there and a couple of cousins. I'm going to play you the video because I know that some of you uh, don't follow me on Instagram and Facebook. You're in danger of hell and, um, and you have not seen this. So let me just play this for you. I just want you to see how loud my house was all of a sudden. I wanted you to see two things there. Notice Bill Brown is eating in the background and and, and the other one, they felt very at home, very from, and the video I didn't get should have been panning over to Mike sitting on the couch just laughing at his kids. It was really, I think, a fun Father's Day for them, and it certainly was for all of us. 9,500 people came uh, through the doors to see this thing, and, and Mike is just a great Christian example. Key moment, if you didn't get to see it, if you weren't here, um, I, sh- I, I, did, I was able to put the 9 o'clock service on video. You've got to go watch it. Uh, one, one guy wrote me and said, I dared my friend to try to get past the six-minute mark of the sermon uh, without crying, because there was the, there, there was the moment where uh, Aaron Toppin, who, who died, the soldier who we're honoring, um, his mom and 40 relatives are in the service, and, and Mike presented her with a game ball, the only woman that got a game ball out of the whole Father's Day service, and it is, a, it is an incredible moment. So go online and watch that because um, really, really special. And, uh, and, and you know, just so you know, I'm wearing the in memory of, we had these at the, at the car show yesterday, great turnout for that, and we had these, uh, you know, funds going to the Toppin family, obviously. Here's a picture from the body coming home from the airport, uh, people lining the, you know, lining the streets, just paying homage to uh, the fallen soldier who died in Afghanistan. They, the motorcycle the people that you know, accompany, the group that accompanies the body said this was the most people they'd ever seen, ever accompany a body. Evidently, all the way from Midway Airport, all the way back down here. I mean, Cicero was just completely closed. I mean, it was a, it was a crazy thing. So um, the deal is, um, I told you it was going to be this week. It didn't get to happen because the body didn't come back until, until yesterday. So uh, the wake is, from he- is here tomorrow for Aaron Toppin on uh, Monday, uh, Monday 1 to 9. And um, I mean, it's going to be a long one because they know there's going to be a lot of people coming. And then the service is at 10 o'clock here on, on Tuesday. They've got a, um, a, a military, you know, a lot of military stuff coming in. There's a general coming in who's going to be speaking at this thing. It's, it's, you know, the media is all over it. I've already been on, uh, you know, on, on CBS radio interview. There's a lot of stuff that's going to go on. So I just want you to be in prayer about that, whether you're connected to the family or not. And if you're connected, please come and support them because it's going to be, it's going to be a crazy, crazy big deal and a great opportunity for us uh, to, to influence people for Jesus, because I believe that I believe that I'll see Aaron again, and, and there's a lot of hope in that, and they, people need to hear that. 
Um, I also just want to ask for your prayers about uh, this convention. I know some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're new, whatever. I'm, I'm leading a convention that um, I've been a part of. It's a church leader convention. There are 6,000 churches that are connected to it. There will be probably 7,000, 8,000 leaders in Indianapolis, July 8th through the 11th, and we're coming into the end of it, uh, coming in to try to put all the details together. Uh, this is a convention that I've been to all but four years of my life. I, my, my, my dad was a preacher in this movement, so I was there in my mother's womb. And, and uh, I mean, literally, this has just been a part of my life. It's crazy to think that I'm the president and leading it this year. What's really cool is that uh, my daughter will be singing at the end of the service that I'm preaching on Tuesday night, um, and she is pregnant with my first grandchild, so my grandchild will be there in the womb and start the tradition all over again. I, I want to invite you to come still July 8th through the 11th in Indianapolis. There's a lot of great stuff going on. It's not just for church leaders. It's an inspirational time, but I also want to ask for your prayers. Um, the book is at the printer. Here is what it's going to look like. It's actually going to be hardback, but it, it's going to look something like that. The, the program, 40 Days of Mission, we already have 35 churches around the country that are going to pilot it with us, and probably by the time we get done with the convention, there, there, there will be hundreds that are going to pilot it with us, and then hopefully it'll be something like the story, like uh, you know, a lot of other uh, of these things where churches say, hey, that looks cool. I want to do this 40 Days of Mission thing and, and get going. That's all at the printer. It was a big ordeal at the end, getting it all done as it always is. I, want, I just want to ask you to pray. My wife and I are going to be fasting and praying tomorrow. If you want to join us tomorrow, please do. Um, but sometime this week and the next week and the next week, three weeks, take one meal and just don't eat. Get some juice if you need to or, or, or a protein shake if you have to or whatever. It doesn't matter. The idea is I'm going to give something up and I, I'm going to spend that time praying about this. And here, uh, not praying about me. You're not praying about, uh, you know, Parkview. We're praying about the kingdom of God and that these churches will be open and receptive and that God's spirit will just wash into this place and, and, and that he will make it be everything that he wants it to be. That's what I'm asking for. We're down to the end of it and, um, and, and that's where I'm at. Okay. So we're talking about Moses today. It's a, it's a good thing because I don't understand you know, Moses looked at his life at 80 years old and the influence that he was able to have, and he didn't know how he got there. And, and I don't know how I got here and the influence that I'm able to have. So it's about being responsible with it and how do we do this. And the Moses story, you know, is obviously way crazy. One kid went, came back from Sunday school one day and he told his dad, oh, we studied about Moses today. And the, and the dad said, well, tell me about it. And the kid said, well... Um, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and they got up to the Red Sea and when they got up to the edge of the Red Sea um, they couldn't get across and the army was coming along behind them so uh, Moses radioed ahead to the army and they sent pontoon boats over and the pontoon boats came and got them and they all got in the pontoon boats and they went across the Red Sea and, and then when they got to the other side they saw that the Egyptians were coming along behind them so they radioed over to the battleship and the battleship sent some torpedoes and sunk the Egyptian army and everything turned out great. And dad was like, is, is that the way they taught it in Sunday school? And, and the kids said, no, Dad, but if I told you the way he told it, you'd never believe me. <laughs> I mean, is it, really, is it a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, that, who's going to believe that, that all these things gets to happen? It, it's a God story. It's a faith in God story that is way too exciting for Charlton Heston. Am I right? I mean, it, it needs to be redone. And I said this last night. Do you know that they are seriously remaking, they're making a Moses movie and it, and Christian Bale is going to be Moses. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is not like a joke. 
Like Batman is going to be Moses. It's weird, but they're making it. Go Google it when you get home. It's supposed to come out this fall. Hey, if Russell Crowe can be Noah, Christian Bale can be, you know, Moses, right? It's okay. As long as neither one of them sing while they're doing it, we're all happy, okay? One of my favorite scriptures about Moses, it's just such a great story, but one of my favorite stories about Moses, favorite scriptures, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Hey, Moses just had this relationship with God that was just intimate, you know? It was just like God called him from the bush, and, and Moses followed, and we'll talk about that today. And they had this friendship. I, that's what, I would love to be able to say that. I hope that that happens in my life, and I would love to be able to say that. I would love to be half the leader that Moses is. In J. Robert Clinton's book, The Making of a Leader, he defines the three major stages of a person who is used by God to do leadership. And it is very, very simple breakdown, so that's what we've been doing. First of all, God works in me, then God works out of me, then God works beyond me. God works in me. The problem is that a lot of us don't allow God to work in us, either because we're too inferior or we're too superior, right? I mean, D.L. Moody said Moses spent the first 40, of his years, 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody, because he was the prince of Egypt, right? And then he spent the next 40 years thinking he was a nobody because he ran away. He was an outlaw and he was a shepherd. And then he spent the last 40 years. Remember, most of the stuff in Moses' life starts at age 80. He spent the last 40 years, 80 to 120, figuring out what God can do with a nobody. God's got to work in me first, and then God can work out of me. And this is the time, you know, of Moses' life when the parts to see and the plagues and all this stuff. And I wanted you to, I want you to know that God can, as long as God is in you, God can work out of you, whether you're 80 or how about 24-year-old Chaz preaching two weeks ago, you, you, you can be young too. That was awesome, wasn't it? I mean, one way or another, if God is in you, God can work out of you. And I love that. And then next week I'll come back and we'll hit God works beyond me. And this is what, this is really a big part of why I would take this convention, I would do all this stuff, is that I, I don't want my legacy to be about, you know, I, I helped people at this one church. If my legacy could be, I helped a lot of churches help a lot of people. I mean, when I get to heaven, I want it to be, uh, I want it to be multiplied. And, and so for Moses, it was not just about his life, it was about what he left for Joshua and what he left for the people beyond him. So God works in me first, then he works out of me, then he works beyond me. That, that's the goal as a leader. Out of me is pretty hard in one sermon. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in Moses' life, all right? It starts off in, uh, and, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, he, he went through the high points of Moses' life, and I'm just going to do the same thing, all right? And it starts with his parents. I got to say this. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, his faith was passed on to him. And it's a great story. If you don't know it, you know, I mean, Moses' mom has Moses. The king wants to kill all the Hebrew boys because the Hebrews are getting too powerful. And she hides him. And then finally she puts him in the little basket, right, and puts him in the river, hoping that somebody's going to find him and take him. And, and sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter's right there, like around the next bend. And she finds the baby. And she says, oh, I want this baby. Let me have this baby. But I can't raise this baby. So go find a Hebrew woman that, that could raise this baby for me. So they go back and they get Moses' actual mom and Pharaoh pays the mom to raise her own kid. 
Can I get an amen from your moms? I mean, would that? I, I looked it up. In 2014, the estimates are $242,000 it's going to cost you to raise your child. $242,000. That's before college. So that's $1,242,000 in case you haven't gotten to college yet, all right? College parents, I just got to share with you, it was quite a moment for me this week. We, we, we shipped off my daughter's car to California, okay? My middle daughter, Lauren, who, they went out there for an internship, so they didn't take, you know, both of them had cars, but they didn't take them both. They just drove one out there. And then they decided, oh, California's awesome. We're going to live here now. So I'm like, well, then get your crap out of my house for crying out loud. And, and so we shipped off Lauren's car off to California. And the moment for me was when I realized for the first time in 11 years, I can back out of my driveway without worrying about one of my kids' cars being in the way. It's an awesome feeling. I could just cut on right out of there. I got a two-car garage. I got two cars. This is the way life is meant to be lived. <laughs> that night, ladies and gentlemen, I filled out the FAFSA form for the last time ever in my life. <laughs> last time. Some of you parents, the younger kids are like, FAFSA, what's that? Oh, it's a part of that $1 million thing I talked about. You'll, you'll, you'll learn about it later. Okay? Reminds me of the story, you know, the, the, the great life question. Who, who is more content, the person with $3 million or the person with three kids? And the answer is the person with three kids because the person with $3 million still wants more. <laughs> I love that. It's a delayed reaction every time. I love that. Sorry, kids, we love you. Moses, okay, here's my point, all right? Moses' mom got paid. Now, now everything in Moses' life and in their life is not gonna work out good, and following God is not always easy. We're gonna talk about that. But don't you know that Moses' mom told him that story over and over again when he was growing up? Don't you know that? I mean, does your mom not tell you the same stories over and over and over again? Mine does. I have a bad memory, so it works out. But, you know... That's what she did. I guarantee you. She said, now Moses, when you get up there to that highfalutin palace, don't you forget where you came from. Don't you forget that God loves you. He paid me to raise you. That's proof of it, right? And I don't know what highfalutin means. It's just something my mom says, so that's how I put it in there, right? It's, it's, it's this story of how amazing it is that God is in our life. And that's what I loved last week about Singletary. Is, it's, a, it's a sad story that his dad is a preacher, his dad was a preacher, but the faith story didn't start there. Faith story had to start for Mike Singletary at Mike Singletary, and it may be the same for you, and I hope you heard that last week. No matter where you came from, no matter what, what, what kind of parents that you had, the faith story starts with you. And when it starts with you, it's about reminding your kids, hey, don't forget where you came from. Look at all these wonderful things. I think, I think the reason my kids are all doing ministry today is because... There's some crummy stuff that goes on in ministry. We didn't, really, we didn't really get into that with them that often. What we always got into with them was look at all the blessings that come. Look at how God is taking care of us. Look at what God is doing here. And that's what they remembered, and they want to serve him because of that. That's where we start. So the faith journey starts, you know, it starts here. It doesn't matter what happened before, all right? But look at what happened to Moses. It says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, okay, when he had grown up, that phrase means when he had become great, all right? He had already become, the, he, was, he was 40 years old. When, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He, he, he refused. See, here's the deal. At some point, you're going to have to decide which side you're going to be on. And Moses decided that he was going to, even though he'd been raised in the palace and he'd been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he was going to still identify with God's people. Now, he did it badly. If you don't know the story, um, you know, the, the story is one day he's out wandering around and he sees this Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his Hebrew friends, you know, his, one of the fellow slaves. And uh, the Bible says in Exodus 2, glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay. Here's a lesson about doing God's will. Normally, you don't have to look around first and see if anybody's watching. Okay. I mean, normally, you're not going to look around. and God's going to tell you to do something. You just go do it. Okay. Sometimes, yes. Um, I mean, I went to Cuba several years ago. We have a baseball ministry involved in Cuba. It's really, really cool. But I'm going to tell you, you can't go into communism. You don't go past the Iron Curtain and walk in, and when they say, what are you here for? You don't say, well, I'm a preacher here to tell people about Jesus. That just doesn't work. So I said, I'm a male model here for a photo shoot, and it worked out... <laughs> perfectly, okay? The, the, the deal is here, the, the, the deal is that Moses made the wrong decision. I mean, he made the right decision. He just did it the wrong way, all right? He, he, did, he wasn't supposed to kill somebody, but he had, make, he had made a choice. He did decide he was going to be on God's side. That, that's what's really, really important. Yeah. He decided to take the road less traveled. He decided for the underdogs, all right? You got to understand, the Israelites against the Egyptians were like anybody else versus the 85 bears, right? I mean, let's, they were, there, there was no way they were going to win. Egypt was the superpower of the world, and the Israelites were this little slave community. They were like this little dog trying to get the tennis ball from the big dog. It's just not ever going to happen, right? But in, in spite of that, here's what it says. It says, he chose. This is the important word. He chose. He chose to be mistreated, with the people of God, rather to enjoy this pleasures of sin for a short time. So much packed into that verse, isn't there? I mean, he chose. That's the important thing, first of all. Yeah, he had the faith handed down to him. Whether you get that or not, it doesn't matter. At some point, you're going to have to choose. When he uh, passed on his faith to, to Joshua, Joshua is the one who got up and made his big speech as they were going into the promised land and said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers' worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then that's okay. Choose, you, you, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites over there or the gods in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We choose God. And that, came from, that came from Joshua. It came from Moses. That was what he decided to do. At some point, you're going to have to decide to choose. And I don't want to minimize this, okay? I want to go back to that verse. He uh, chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Some preachers would get up and tell you, well, you know what? There's nothing fun about sin anyway. It's just going to mess up your life. Well, that's true in the long term. But for the short term, I'm going to tell you, sin can be fun, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. It can be fun. Imagine that you're Moses and you are, you know, you're, you're, filthy rich, you're strong, you're handsome, and you're considered God in your culture. Some of you women are married to men who feel like that is them, but none of us could really imagine that, right? I mean, you can't really imagine that. That's what he had. That's who he was. 
And he gave that up. That was fun. That was awesome. He gave that up to go and be mistreated along with the people of God. He gave that up. That's a choice that he made. And here's why we talk about Moses all these thousands of years later. The reason Cecil B. DeMille made a movie about him in the first place is because Moses made a decision to do the right thing instead of the easy thing or the fun thing. He chose. A journey with God forces us to say, okay, what really is most important to me? Remember, the first 40 years are great. Hebrew education at home until he was old enough to go to the palace, and, and, and then he chose the side of God's people, and then the next 40 years were in the desert. And this is how God works in us first, right? They're in the desert. But now he's 80, okay? I want to come back to that. He's 80 years old when he has the burning bush experience. I would think that, I mean, wouldn't you think that the statute of limitations has run out on him killing that taskmaster 40 years ago? I would imagine that because he is a relative, you know, a card-carrying adopted relative of the Pharaoh family, that he could have come back and everybody would have said, Moses, where you been? Yeah, it's okay, you killed that guy. We didn't like him anyway. Come on back, and we're glad you're here. You can be a god again. This is awesome. But he chose not to do that. He chose, rather, to go back to those people and say, I'm back. I'm Moses I need you to let go of all of your slaves that are providing all the free labor for you and let us go because God said so. (laughs) By faith, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And there's the key, right? The problem with our faith is we don't look ahead. We're looking at right now. We're looking at how hard is it going to be, Lord? You're asking me to do this thing, but how hard is that really going to be? Because we live in the, in the here and now. Right? I'll give you one practical example, and that's our money, right? I mean, God says, I want you to lay up your treasures in heaven. Jesus taught 10, 10% of his teaching was about money because this is a test for us. He said, I want you to lay up treasures in heaven. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But where do we live with our money? We live in a world of 18 months, same as cash. We live in the, in the world where, you know, just get it now because you can, you can afford it, it doesn't really matter. That's the world we live in. We live in the world where we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and make everything happen. So that whole eternal perspective, that whole perspective of what could be done with our money or our gifts or whatever it is, we don't think about that because we're thinking about it right now, okay? But we don't understand that there is an eternal perspective on what we're supposed to do. Moses could see that. He was looking ahead to his reward. Listen, I I want you to understand, when we take up the offering, it's not like, oh, hey, we got to pay the bills. It's a a chance for us to say, I'm making a declaration of where I'm putting my faith. That's why God talked about the tithe. Bring the tithe back to the storehouse. Bring 10% back because you're going to miss that. And then watch me be involved in your life. That's why he does that. So you're not getting caught up in the things of the world. And you know what? You're not going to figure it out. You're not going to know how it's going to happen. You're not supposed to. Well, what's going to happen with that? Well, we're going to start a safe house for sex trafficked girls. We're going we're gonna to baptize more people. We're going we're gonna to have more kids that are able to follow Christ. We're going to do missions all around the world. Got a team leaving for Kenya this week. That, that, those are the things that are going to happen. Those are eternal perspectives. Those are, the, those are the big reward. And hey, by the way, we're going to have about the only building in the whole county that would be the possible place for us to do a, a soldier's funeral 
with any kind of dignity and honor and have enough people to be able to come in and to do it. We have that place because that's what God has called us to. Because the reason this place is here is because many years ago, 10 years ago, a bunch of people said, we're going to look forward to what is a reward later on and not worry about what's happening right now. And that's why we're here. I want to encourage you with something. Um, We're trying to get more and more of our people online. Uh, If you just go to parkviewchurch.com online or, or giving, you can figure out how to do this online because here's what happens. It happens to all of us. If, if, if I don't have, oh, I'm having this problem with Comcast. I'm sorry. Does anybody work with Comcast? I have tried automatic billing with Comcast 100,000 times. I keep signing up for it, and then all of a sudden I walk in one day, and my internet's off. And I go on Comcast, and they oh, you owe us $150 because you haven't paid your bill. Well, I put my credit card in there. I tried my credit card. I tried my debit card. What do you want? You want my child's birth certificate? I don't know how to help you, Comcast. I'm sorry. This is me. I want everything to be done. You know what I'm saying? I I don't want to have to worry about, oh, I'm gone. I didn't get my Comcast bill. I didn't pay it. I just want it to be automatic. And that's what online giving does. It's making one decision right now and saying, this is who I'm going to be. And then watch God take care of it. I want to encourage you to do that, okay? Again, the contrast. Refuse to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter and opted for being Moses. He, He chose the hard life of faith versus the pleasures of sin for a short time. He valued disgrace with Christ over the treasures of Egypt. Really, really faith decisions, okay? Why? Because he was looking ahead. Let's keep going. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. You see how that works? I mean, you've got, that's what faith is all about. It's about seeing God and trusting God. So he chose. Then this verse says he left. See, that's the next stage. First you choose. You say, I'm going to start taking care of myself. Then you leave at 6 o'clock in the morning and go to the gym. Okay? Those are two different things. You choose to eat better. You leave dessert laying there and don't pick it up at the graduation party that you're going to later on, all right? You see how that works? There's two different things. I can choose to do a whole lot of things, but until I actually leave, until I actually have an action oriented with it, it's not going to make any difference. Moses chose and then he left. Why, why don't we do that? Well, because we're not looking ahead to the one who is invisible. We're not, looking ahead to the, we're not looking ahead to the faith in the God in our eternal reward. We're just, we're just thinking about right here and now, well, what if? You know, what, 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 if I, what if I get there and the health club's closed, right? Oh, what, what, if I, you know, what if I give my money and I miss it and I have a bill? What if, what if I do this? What if I do that? Listen, I want to I explain this to you. There's never a place in the Bible where God says, hey, before you get ready to go on this journey, I'm going to lay everything out for you, okay? Here's your spreadsheet, your Google Maps, here's your calendar, and you can see how this is all going to work out in the end, right? You never see that. Why is that? Did you notice a couple of words in here? Disgrace, mistreatment, you know? If God would have told Moses ahead of time all the things that were going to happen, do you think Moses would have even signed up? Oh, I can't wait for that day when I get to go see Pharaoh and say, hey, let all your free labor go. And he says, forget you. And he makes it harder on all of my friends. And they're all mad at me. Now I got Egypt mad at me and Israel mad at me at the same time. I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. 
I can't wait till I send those 12 spies into the promised land and 10 of them come back and go, there's no way we're going in there. Those people are big. And and God says, all right, I'm going to leave you people in the desert for 40 years because you have no faith and we're going to wait for your kids' generation to grow up. I can't wait for the desert. It's a dry heat. I love it. That's awesome. I'm so excited to eat manna every day out there in the desert. Just have manna coming down from heaven. Manna, manna, manna. I can't wait for that. It's going to be great. I can't wait for that day I come down the mountain after having been with God and my face is glowing because I've been in the presence of God. I can't wait for that day when I come down and I have the Ten Commandments in my hand and I'm so excited and I look down and my people have made a golden calf. I can't wait for that. I hate Chick-fil-A. I love cows. That's awesome. You imagine all that? I mean, if Moses knows what's going on ahead of time, there's no way. That's why God doesn't let you know ahead of time, because sometimes the faith journey is not going to be easy. you got to understand that. I am definitely not one of those preachers who is going to get up here and say, if you follow God, everything in your life is going to be hunky-dory for the rest of your life, and you're going to be healthy and wealthy. Because I haven't seen that happen anywhere not even for God's son when he came down here to live. That theology doesn't work. That's why God doesn't tell you ahead of time. Listen, this is just, this is just free. Where I am and where we are as a church right now is, is the most gratifying and it's the most rewarding place for me. I can't believe the kind of influence that we, that we are able to have. But, but if God would have said in 1990, almost 25 years ago, if God would have said, hey, Tim, in, in, in 2014, here's what's going to happen. But here are all the bad things that are going to happen to you along the way, which I don't need to go into. I would have said, I don't think I want to deal with that. I'm here. God got me here. God got us here. And we're faithful. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future either. It's not all going to be great in the future either. But I'm really happy that I could see the one who is invisible. And that's the only way that it's going to work. If you want an easy life and you're not willing to leave, then forget it. But if you want to have a life of faith, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He, he, he chose, he left, and the third thing is he obeyed. This is really interesting. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Uh, you, you may not even understand that, but, but God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill a lamb and take the blood and spread it on the doorpost so that, you know, the death angel will pass over. Do you think Moses understood any of that? Do you think Moses understood any of the things that God was telling him to do? No, he didn't. He just obeyed them. And, and the problem with faith is that sometimes God's even going to ask us to do things that we don't understand. Sometimes God is going to ask us to do things that don't make any sense to us at all. He kept the Passover. Imagine what Moses felt like going to all the people. Hey, you guys, kill your lamb and spread blood over the doorpost. I mean, this had not been done before. They didn't understand it. Like, what are you talking about? That's my pet lamb. No, no, you got to do this. This is how it's supposed to work. Because listen, living with faith is all about not knowing what's around the next corner, but doing things that don't make sense because you know the God who is invisible. Two nuns were driving along and ran out of gas one day in a farm road, and they went up to the farmhouse, and they, you know, they, they, they needed gas. And the farmer said, well, I got gas, but I don't have any other, I don't have a gas can. I just got this big tank. And they, they looked around the, in the barn, and they found an old bedpan. 
And none said, well, could we, could we take this? And he said, well, yeah, if, if you want. I guess you can get enough gas to get you somewhere. So, so they filled up the bedpan with gasoline. And they gently carried it all the way back down to their car. Imagine this scene. As, as the you know, gas caps open and these two nuns are, are pouring the contents of a bedpan into their car. The guy drives by and he goes, excuse me, ladies, I, I can't help but say I am not of your religion, but I can't help admiring your faith. If you think that's going to work for you, right? When I read the Bible, I never see a place where God says, here's how it's all going to happen. So how do we do this? How do we, have, how do we live this life of faith? Well, it all started back in the beginning at the bush, okay? It all started back in the beginning, uh, you know, when Moses is 80 and the bush is on fire and he goes up to it. And, and Moses says, okay, God, or whoever you are talking to me out of this bush, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. What if? Right? That's a question we always ask. And the Lord said, this is really an odd, odd passage. What's that in your hand, Moses? I just need to say something, okay? When God asks you a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. Just in case you're wondering. It's always because he wants you to understand something. Anytime God or Jesus asked a question, it was always for the benefit of the person he was asking. What's that in your hand? Moses said, a staff. A staff, like a shepherd's staff, like you see at Christmas time, right? Hook on one end, long stick, right? He's a shepherd. Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Okay? What do you, what do you, I mean, you see a snake, what do you do? You run from it, right? This is Egypt. There are dangerous snakes there. He ran from it. That's the logical thing. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses evidently went back to the snake because he'd run away, left that part out, reached out, took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This is interesting. He throws his staff on the ground and becomes a snake. He runs away from it because that's the reaction that we should have. Okay? Rick Warren says, think about what the staff represents. The staff for Moses represented his identity because he was a shepherd. It represented his income, what he has, because everything is tied up in these animals. And it represented his influence because this is how you move sheep with the shepherd's staff. This is how you protect against wild animals with the staff. It represented everything in his life. It was just a representation of it. His identity, who he was, his income, what he had, his influence, how he, how he did things. God said, I want you to throw it down and give it to me. When you give it to me, something's going to happen. It's going to come alive. What's that in your hand? Whatever you give to God is going to come alive. It's going to, something is going to happen. And you're going to see something happen when you give it to God. Then amazingly, God says, okay, let's test you just a bit longer. And I want you to reach out and what? Grab the, grab the, grab the snake by the what? Did you catch that? By the tail? Does anybody know anything about snakes? Do you watch any of those shows on TV? If you were asked by God to pick up a snake, where would you logically pick the snake up? From the head, right? You want to grab it behind the head because if you pick it up by the tail, it's going to go and it's going to come around and bite you. So God couldn't have tested him any, really any further than to say, turn, let it turn into a snake. Now I'm going to test you one more time. And when he picks it up by the tail, it turns back into a staff. 
Because sometimes faith means picking the snake up by the tail. It's not going to be easy. And remember, this is in response to Moses saying, well, God, how, how are you going to help me if they don't believe me? <laughs> he, he could have given him a, like a, a SWAT team or, you know, a, an army or, a, you know, something, a tank. He could have said, here's what I'm going to give you. He said, no, I'm going to give you a snake and you're going to grab it by the tail. This is not going to be a fun journey. This is not going to be easy, okay? This is not going to be what you think it's going to be. But if you give it to me, I'm going to turn it into something that is incredible, I'm going to turn it into something that you can't even possibly imagine. It's, it's really, really fascinating because when we get a few verses later, down to Exodus 4, verse 20, it says, So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on the donkey, and he started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Did you see that? Wait a minute. When did it become the staff of God? When you threw it down. Well, or maybe when you grabbed it by the tail. But now it's the staff of God, right? Now it is the thing that you can hold up over the Red Sea, and the Red Sea will part for crying out loud. Now it is the thing that you can strike a rock with, and water will come out that'll, that'll give water to a million or two million people that are wandering in the desert. Now it is the staff of God. It was the staff of you. Now it is the staff of God. When? When you lay it down, when you pick it back up by the tail, when you say, God, I want you to have this. What does that mean for us? I mean, what's that in your hand? Think about the little boy with five loaves and two fish. And he came and he brought it to God and he threw it down. He said, here you go. And God fed 5,000 men plus women and children with that little thing. Parable of the talents. What's that, what's that in your hand? Well, if I've got five talents, will you give it to God? It'll become 10. What's that in your hand? Well, I guess I'm going to go preach it. This little church in Tenley Park. It's got 150 people, and see what happens. What's that in your hand? You, you, got, you got a neighbor that needs you. You got friends that need you. you got, you've got gifts and abilities. There's a Next Steps booth out there. You're like, I don't know what to do. Go to the Next Steps booth. We got all kinds of places we could use volunteers around here. You got, you got things, you got, you got possessions. You have talents, you have gifts. What's that in your hand? Throw it down. Give it to God. All of a sudden, the staff of you can become the staff of God, and unbelievable things is going to happen. But how did that happen? Let's go back to this. The key to faith is knowing the person that you have the faith in. God talked to Moses as a man talks to a friend. Moses knew who God was. Moses had been up the mountain for 40 days with, with God getting the Ten Commandments. He knew who God was. If you know who God is, you can trust him. I'll tell you an embarrassing story. Um, several years ago, somebody gave us a couple of passes to Odyssey Country Club to go golfing. Gave, you know, to the staff. Said, Here, here's, a, here's like two foursomes. Just go, go get some passers and go. So I got some of the guys together and we went out. For some reason, Lonnie decided he wanted to go. Now, and if you don't know who Lonnie is, Lonnie's a, a paraplegic since he's been 19. He's a paraplegic, no, no use of his lower limbs. He's our pastoral care minister. He wanted to go hang out. You know, he doesn't get to go golf. And he can't golf, obviously, but he wanted to go ride around the cart. And, and if you know Lonnie, he wanted to drive. 
Now, he has a van that he can drive with hand controls. He does a, you know, really, really good job, um, you know, but there's no golf cart that are hand-controlled golf carts. So he borrowed one of my one of my clubs that I wasn't using, like the three iron or something nobody can hit, right? And, he, and, he, and he's using it to push down on the accelerator and drive the golf cart around. Because he's got, remember, no use here, okay? So he's driving around like this, and we're all having fun. And we get to the 16th hole. I think it's 16. Big dog leg left, and, uh, and there's a, an island green out there. And, and it's, a, you know, it's a, it really hard to hit. So your shot is to hit a drive, and then you know, hopefully maybe one more to get up close so that you can, it's an island. You, you, there's no way to roll the ball up there. You got you know, you to chip it up. So I had done that, and I'd gotten my ball a little farther towards the water than I really wanted to. And so, you know, but it's still hittable. I mean, it's still okay. So, so we're going to go up to the water. Well, Lonnie wants to go up to the water. He wants to see the island green and everything, you know? So we're, Lonnie's driving up to the edge of the water. And, and, and as we're getting closer and closer, I'm kind of thinking, you know, you have no use of your lower limbs. And I know you're driving with my three iron. And this is really starting to scare me a little bit here because you're going a little too fast. And, and then there was a moment where he was like, okay, I better stop. And he missed. He missed the break. He missed it twice. And I jumped out. <laughs> I'm not proud. It was an instinct. I just was like, oh, I'm out of here. True story. Um, I promise I would have gone back in for, you know, my physically disabled friend. I would have rescued him. But my instinct was the key to faith is knowing the person you have faith in. And I had no faith that Lonnie was going to stop this golf cart. So I jumped out. The problem with the road to faith for a lot of us is that God takes us right up to that moment where we can, we can really experience what he wants for us, and we bail because we're, I, I, don't, I don't really think you got this. I don't really think you have this. That's the problem with our faith. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. And I think... Um, I think one of the keys to Moses' life, one of my theme verses is Exodus 33, 12. He said, God, you've said to me, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. I want to know you better. That, that's got to be our prayer. I, I, I wanna, the only way I can have faith in you is if I know you, if I know who you are. If I have faith that when I throw a stick down, it's going to turn into a snake, but it's not going to bite me when I pick it up by the tail. It's going to turn into the rod of God, from the staff of Moses to the rod of God. I'm going to have faith that you're going to do that. I'm going to have faith that when I get up to the edge of the Red Sea and there's no way across it and there's an army behind me, that you are the God who's going to figure all those things out. And I'm going to keep getting to know you more and more because I'm going to have my faith in him who was invisible. I'm going to be looking ahead to my rewards. This is not blind faith. The more you know God, the less blind it is. He chose. He left. He obeyed. The Bible says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Chuck Swindoll asks a great question. He says, where are the Moses monuments in Egypt? 
You know, I mean, a lot of the pharaohs have monuments, right? And he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There's no sphinx for Moses. There's no pyramid for Moses. There's no monuments for Moses. Why? Because he chose God and he left that to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to have fun for a little while. And he obeyed God even when he didn't understand him. Unfortunately, the people that he led, they didn't do so well. They, they didn't, you know, they didn't have the ability. They, they didn't really choose God. God. God said, hey, I'm taking you out of here. And they said, okay. They left, but it wasn't really of their own accord. And then they didn't really obey. I mean, they kept making golden calves. They kept complaining. They kept griping. And finally, God said, all right, listen, I'm going to wait till you guys all die off. And I'm going to take the next generation in. And we'll talk about that next week. But it's a choice that we can make. Are we going to realize that God is really who he is and have faith in the invisible? Or are we going to keep trying to go back? And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to go back to Egypt where everything was familiar, where they knew everything. Even though they were a slave, that's what they wanted. And that's the choice that we get to make today. Kayla Bailey's written a a song about it, and uh, she's going to do this for us right now. Just give you a chance to think about which way is it going for you? As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll be with us right now. I mean, when I think about the, the responsibility and the things that are upon me and my wife as we're leading this thing and, and the stuff that's going on right now, it is mind-boggling to look back and to see where we've come. And, and the journey was not easy. Um, and I don't think it's going to be going forward, but I pray that you'll help us as we continue to see the one who is invisible and look towards that reward. For everybody in this room, Lord, we pray that you will help them to understand that you are the God who who can part to see. You still can. You are the God who sometimes asks us to throw our stuff down, and whatever it is that we have in our hand, when we give it to you, it can turn into something supernatural. It may be scary in the short term, but in the long term, it is going to be the rod of God. And help us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have communion right now. There's a couple of great correlations to the whole thing. I mean, for one, you know, Jesus got to the garden right after he instituted communion, the Last Supper. He gets to the garden and he has his pick up the snake by the tail moment with his own father. He says, God, is there any other way for this to, is there any other thing I can do but pick this snake up by the tail? Is there, is there any other way but to go to the cross? And the father says, no. So he does. He goes. He went to the cross and he died for you and me. Uh, the, other, the other interesting tie-in to the story of Moses is that it was Passover weekend. The first time they did the Passover, nobody understood it. But once the death angel passed over, then they celebrate the Jews still pa- celebrate Passover, one of their big holidays. Now they were celebrating Passover in Jerusalem. And all the time, Jesus is dying on the cross so that the death angel will pass over us. We're going to have communion. Maybe, um, maybe it's been a while for you. Maybe you never have. It's all good. If you believe in Jesus, we want you to commune with us. We're going to pass the trays across. There's bread in the bottom cup and juice in the top cup. Just take them both out and hold them for a moment, and we will all commune together in unison. If you're a believer, we welcome you to do it. Let's pray. God, if there are people here who've never, 
never accepted the gift that you gave us when you picked the snake up by the tail and, and went to the cross, Jesus, we ask that you would be with them right now as they open up their hearts to you. They may be confused. They may not understand it all. It may not seem like it makes any sense to them why you would want to choose them, why you would want to use them. But I know that you do. You love each and every one of us. And you, you came so that whoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. So if there are people in this room, let them do that now. Open up and say, Jesus, I, I, I want to live forever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this bread, drink this cup, and let this juice represent the blood that you shed on the cross that can be sprinkled over the doorpost of my heart. And I may die in this body someday, maybe premature like Aaron Toppin, or maybe when I'm old, but it doesn't matter because we're all going to be together forever because of the Passover. Thank you, Lord, for this gift, and we ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen.